When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Women who are independent and who have found their stride in life may often struggle with the shift between caring for a baby, caring for themselves, and relying on others to help support the new family. This may result in an emotional and identity crisis in which women find themselves asking, who am I now that I'm a mother and what is my new identity? This is Newbies. He's gorgeous. Um, it's a girl. Surprise! The whole family's here. So when are you having the next one? It's just poop. Ready for another? Wow, you look really tired. Ready to go back to work? Yellow poop? Seriously? Did you sterilize this? Sex? Now? You've got to be joking. You should sleep when the baby sleeps. She doesn't look anything like you. I thought you already had your baby. I did. Babies don't come with instructions, so there's Newbies, helping new moms and new babies through the first year. Welcome to Newbies. Newbies is your online, on-the-go support group guiding new mothers through their baby's first year. I'm your host, Kristen Stratton, certified birth doula, postpartum doula, and owner of Indue Season Doula Services. If you haven't already, be sure to visit our website at newmommymedia.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to our show through iTunes, so you'll automatically get new episodes when they're released. Here's Sunny with details on how you can get involved with newbies. Okay, so I'd love to tell you guys about the segments that we do because it's really important that we get our listeners involved. Um, We believe this is your show, not just our show. And so there's several different ways you can do that. So one of them is through our segments. And the one I'm going to feature today is one that I really enjoy. It's called Five Minute Birth Story. So it's kind of hard to (laughs) take your birth story and condense it down to five minutes. So it's kind of a challenge for all of our listeners out there because I'm sure there's a lot of details you'd want to include. But we do want to share these birth stories. And it's not that they all have to be super happy, like everything turned out the way I wanted it to turn out. Like when does that happen anyways? But if you have a story that you think is a powerful story that can help motivate moms. Um, so maybe not everything turned out the way you wanted, but you know, you saw the light at the end of the tunnel and everything turned out okay in the end. I think it's important to share this kind of stuff. So there's obviously, we have a lot of moms listening to the show and we all have different experiences. And I think it's great to hear those experiences. So if you have a birth story you want to share, If you think you can narrow it down to about five minutes or less, I'm not going to time you or anything, but if you think you can hit that five minute mark, we would love to hear it. And the best way to do this is not to email it because who wants to type out five minutes? It's to go to our website at newmommymedia.com. And on all of the pages of New Mommy Media, there is a gray little banner on the side that says send voicemail. So you don't have to pick up a phone anymore. You can actually just send the voicemail straight through your computer. It'll use the microphone on your computer to pick it up. And uh, you can send it straight to us. And then we'll take that clip and we'll put it on a future episode. So that way everyone can hear your birth story and benefit from it and and your experience as well. All right. Let's meet the mamas joining our conversation today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your experience with today's topic. Let's start with Graham. Hi, guys. My name's Graham. I have two children. Andrew is almost three and Rory is just five months. When I found out I was pregnant with Andrew, I was also starting my own business and leaving a job to do that. 
and I was in school. So I have lots of experience with today's topic. It was a huge transition for me and maybe not the best idea to all be doing that at the same time. Of course, it worked out in the end because he's three now and, you know, we haven't put him on the sidewalk yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's Well, that's encouraging. (laughs) All right. And Jillian. Hi, yeah, I'm Jillian Darlington. I'm the CEO and founder of the MomCo app, where moms connect. I have an eight-year-old son. I've been a single mom since he was six, and I am very passionate about the motherhood lifestyle and making sure that women are connected to each other and to all the resources that they need. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Okay, so let's talk about a news headline before we dive into our topic today. So big news out of San Francisco. We talk about this a lot on Newbies, the importance of being able to stay at home with your baby and have that paid family leave, um, if at all possible, for your family to be able to connect and bond with each other. It's so important in the beginning. And so San Francisco has really stepped out. They are the first city now, something that just passed earlier this week. They're the first city to require fully paid parental leave. Okay, now... Other companies have done this, you know, individual companies. But as far as a city coming out and saying, we're going to do this, um, San Francisco is the first city. So this was a measure. It was passed unanimously amongst the city board. And uh, basically in California, we, because I live in California, so I'm going to say we, we have a state insurance program that pays workers 55% of their normal wages to take time off after birth or adoption of a child or to care for a sick family member. So they kind of combine that. So now this San Francisco law is going to require employers to make up the balance of the employee's pay so that they then earn 100% of their normal wages. So this is this hasn't taken effect yet. Again, this was just passed earlier, uh, I believe, last week. So it's going to take effect January 1st, 2017, so at the start of the next year. And it's going to impact initially companies that have 50 or more employees. And from that point, they're hoping by the following year, so January 1st, 2018, that it's going to impact all employers with at least 20 workers. And then employers with fewer than 20 are going to be exempt from the law. So wanted to get your guys' take on this and uh, see if it's something that uh, you wish would come to your city. (laughs) And uh, we'll go from there. So Kristen, what do you think? You know, it's interesting to see that. Well, I don't know. I could get very political on this and I won't. But I think overall paid family leave is very important. I think it's something that when you compare how America handles paid family leave to other countries, it's just drastically different. And I think overall, if we want better mental health overall as a country, we want better productivity out of employees that we need to start with the home. And so I think it's a good start. I think it's a good example. I'm sure that you know, San Francisco is a huge city. I'm sure they have a very healthy economy. So that's something that maybe perhaps they can kind of be the experimental model. I'm interested to see how it works, the partnership, because I know that my clients who have tried to get the FMLA pay, um, it's kind of a struggle to get that. So I'm just kind of going to keep an open mind, but I'm a little... You're cautious. You're I'm cautious. cautious. Yeah. It's just, it's just, there's some, there's a little overlap there between, you know, whoever's licensed there. And I would hate to see businesses pull out and, you know, things like that. So I'm just kind of wait and see till I get my final opinion on it. I see. Jillian, what do you think? 
Yeah, I'm kind of on the same team as as Kristen, just because I I mean, six weeks is I mean, it's a good start, but we've got so so much farther to go with what needs to happen to just to make the whole transition period easier. And it, it makes it easier because then dad can also be home and then the entire life, like lifestyle and income isn't completely, you know, put at risk. But I remember back in the day, like, you know, this has been around for a while, but then you don't see the money for a really long time too. So there's a lot that goes into it. I think it's a good start. I think we have a long way to go. Okay, Graham. Yeah, that is six weeks does not seem like anywhere near enough personally. The whole thing just, it seems like their hearts are in the right place and they're trying to start off well. I just, and I don't want to get too political here either. I just, I'm unsure as to how this would work and how it would work long-term and really if it's enough for moms and dads. I'm just going to leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Just put it, put it down and walk away. All right, Jen, what do you think? What do you think about this? Wow. Well, when I first read the article, and I believe the article that I read, they presented that New York as well as San Francisco simultaneously had come up with their own new laws regarding this. I was really excited and encouraged. I, you know, I understand what everyone's saying about I don't know how logistically it will play out, but I think it sends the most important message that we need to have that we value this time for women and families. Um, I think it speaks to what we're going to get into in a little bit about new motherhood imposing a certain level of dependency. And we need the culture, the families, the people, the jobs to be supportive in understanding that um, and protecting that. So from that sense, I was very excited. So we'll see. No, that's a good point. And the article does continue to say that also this past week, New York passed what's being hailed as the most comprehensive and generous paid family leave state law, which guarantees employees up to 12 weeks off to care for a new child or seriously ill family member. But that's not going to go in, into effect until 2021. And it only it pays employees up to 67% of their salary. So it's, it is a little bit different, but that's getting a lot of credit now too, is at least being a step in the right direction. And, and I alluded to this earlier, but there are companies out there that, you know, you can do whatever you want to, you know, as, as a company, you can go above and beyond what the state mandates, right? So I just want to give some props out there to eBay and Spotify. They offer six months of fully paid parental leave and Netflix, believe it or not, just, they just announced a unlimited parental leave for the first year after the birth of a child. Yeah. So again, there are individual companies that are standing up and saying, hey, we understand the law is this, but we want to do more for our employees. And I really think when you do that, when you really take care of your employees, it goes such a long way. You know, that it's just people want to continue to work for you and it creates that positive work environment. So so props to those companies. And if this is a step in the right direction, then, you know, at least it's a step, right? Baby steps, we say. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. 
Today on Newbies, we're continuing our series on surviving postpartum by discussing how we adjust to our new identity after we become mothers. Our expert is Dr. Jennifer Shear, licensed clinical psychologist. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Shear, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So what are some of the critical changes to a woman's sense of self when she becomes a mother? I think the most significant change is that after giving birth, you are just in one abrupt moment thrown into this entirely new world, this whole new role, and it's all-encompassing. So it demands your complete attention, every ounce of your being, and you know this intense focus on mothering and trying to figure it all out, it forces the other parts of your identity to at least temporarily get pretty sidelined. And, you know, understandably, that brings up feelings of loss and grief, um, very often resentment, especially when these other parts of ourselves have traditionally been sources of self-esteem that we rely on. And I'm thinking perhaps a woman's professional identity or how she feels about herself and her primary relationship. So, you know, here you are as a new mom, you're completely out of your comfort zone uh, simply because you have never been in this situation before. And at the same time, you're often not really able to access the other parts of your identity or yourself that help you feel confident and valued. So I think that's one huge and abrupt change. Um, I think the other big issue is that as a new mom, you know, most women tend to grapple with their own feelings about autonomy and dependency. And new motherhood, it forces you into a certain level of temporary dependency. Doesn't matter, you know, how high functioning you were before having a baby, you just can't maintain that same level of functioning across all the areas of your life when you are mothering an infant. So you're faced with accepting your own limitations and you're forced to depend on other people and other resources to support you in this new role. And I think this issue of needing to depend on others can be extremely uncomfortable, even daunting for women who typically are extremely self-reliant and really value their ability to do so much on their own. And how do these changes alter our understanding of who we are as a parent? Well, you know, I think it's great to think about parental or maternal identity as a process. It's developmental, just like our babies who are growing. We're growing simultaneously with them. I think what makes it so hard is that at the very moment you're faced with this overwhelming responsibility that means so much to you, like protecting and nurturing new life, you're also incredibly vulnerable yourself and you're tasked with needing to acquire, you know, very often completely different skill sets and parts of yourself than you're used to. So emotionally, you can move all over the map in just a moment. You know, a new mom is identifying with her baby, her own feelings of dependency as a young girl, and then, you know, certainly what she's absorbed emotionally from her own mother's feelings um, about being a mom. So it's like all these different parts of self at different moments in time coalesce into this intense period of new motherhood when you're really just trying to like sort it all out and figure out how to take care of this baby and yourself. And what are some of the ways this identity crisis can manifest itself during our postpartum time? So many moms are highly cognizant that they are not as present or joyful as they would like to be during um, the postpartum period and can be really harsh with themselves, you know, but it's such a such a time of psychic reorganization for a woman. And that just involves a lot of emotions, a lot of processing, lots of ups and downs. And there's often anxiety and depression that extends beyond the baby blues. But women are dealing with a great deal of loss internally, 
even though, you know, there's the addition of this new person to love and care for. So a woman's self-esteem about herself as her mother becomes so often, you know, as the relationship with the baby develops, such an important part of her own self-esteem and she, how she values herself. And so all the other parts of identity often start getting viewed through that central piece of that maternal identity. And so there's just so much mental work going on. And to our parents, do you remember mourning your loss of autonomy when you became a mother? I'll take this one. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, 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 well, I have a lot of experience with babies. My mom had my siblings when I was a teenager, so I kind of went through it. So I knew I was getting myself into, and I just gave into it. I didn't fight it. I kind of, the first three months I had Taylor, I didn't really try to do anything but just survive and just give in to the fact that I was exhausted. And I think moms these days, and that's my issue with the whole six weeks thing. Six weeks is like you're barely healed at six weeks. Six weeks is a total joke to expect women to just bounce back and go back to work like it's nothing. And and I think women need for the first three months just to really give in to the fact that they their lives are completely different. And I think sometimes I think the depression and isolation comes from fighting that instead of just kind of giving into it or like sinking into it like a hot tub being like, okay, this is how this is going to be for now. Let me get used to it. And then try to, you know, then you can start regaining a sense of self, but you can't, I don't think, find yourself again until you've fully embraced all the changes that becoming a new mom brings. I have the exact opposite. (laughs) It was the exact opposite for me. I hate asking for help and I hate needing help. And I I am just, I'm, I'm not good at any of that. Those are not skills that I already had. I was the youngest child of four. So I didn't have any of Jillian's experience at all. And when my son was born, I could not understand why I couldn't just do all of these things. I also had had an emergency C-section and a pretty traumatic birth. So there was a lot for me to heal from and bounce back from. And I honestly just didn't understand why I wasn't fine two days later, three days later. Like, I'm home. The hospital has let me go home. I am home now. I should be fine. And I think part of that was that I was not on any type of maternity leave. I had left my company while I was pregnant and was working for myself on my own. And so there was no idea in my head of taking time off. I was just full steam ahead and none of that worked out. That was a horrible idea. Don't do that. Well, (laughs) I think that goes back to my point of like, I think a lot of women think exactly that, that like, oh, this, you know, as soon as they're out of me, like I'm done, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, they don't realize like, oh, no, wait, all the really hard stuff is just about to begin. So I feel like, yeah, if we start getting that message out to women, like, this is going to be rough, girls, like, buckle up, you know, like, this is not going to be pretty for a little while. And that's okay. Like, it's really okay to like, not be the same person you were. You're never going to be the same person again. Don't try to be. But it doesn't mean you're not going to be as good, if not better now. Like, I'm such a better person now than I was before I had my child. But I think we need to get that message out because I think women are scared of like, oh, well, I'm not going to be as fit or I'm not going to be as beautiful. I'm not going to be able to perform as well as at work or, or this or that. It's just like, no, but you you are a completely different person now. It's kind of like the metamorphosis of, you know, the caterpillar going into a butterfly. You can't go back. 
at all. Yeah. And that the new you doesn't necessarily need to be able to do all of the same things that the old you did in the same way or as quickly or as whatever. The new you is is going to be totally different for a lot of women. So we're obviously talking about really big changes. So Dr. Shear, is there any relationship between the way we approach the vulnerability and dependence of our children and understanding our own dependence? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the way we evaluate our own parenting is so much based on what we experienced ourselves. You know, for example, if you felt overprotected as a kid, that could cause you as a parent to move in the opposite direction and be very focused on, say, promoting autonomy. And I think you just want to be careful not to overcompensate. And in that case, maybe encourage premature autonomy or shame your kids for their vulnerability and their dependency needs. Um, in an effort to repair your own experience. So, you know, that's that's one side of it. Another example would be if you felt your caregivers weren't so available or were even neglectful, that can make a young child learn to rely on herself and not trust that others can help. And so when you're in a situation like early motherhood that imposes upon you, you know, the need to reach out to others, that can make you feel really unsafe and bring up intense anxiety and also create conflict in dealing with this in your own child. So I think the real issue is to be attuned to what your child's needs are at you know various stages and to distinguish your own issues from what your child is really needing in the moment. And how does our brain react to the demands of motherhood and how it conflicts with our need for autonomy? You know, immediately after birth, our own attachment and caregiving systems are in incredibly activated. So we're very sensitive to separations and the need to protect and feel protected. And a certain amount of separation anxiety can be a signal about attachment needs. It's important. And this can create conflicts between the need for a mom to really recharge and have time away from her baby, be able to engage in self-care, and then the pull to stay very close and attentive. And to our parents, do you recall experiencing this conflict? And is there a particular moment you can recall and want to share with us? I just did not want anybody to hold him. That wasn't me. I just, I remember feeling every time, even when it was my mom or Adam or Adam's mom or, you know, people that I trust, very, very close people to me. And even when we were in the same room, handing my son to somebody else, I don't think that there are words to explain exactly how that felt. It felt like I was handing, I don't know, a a literal part of me. Like I had cut out a part, which I guess was true. (laughs) Uh, I had cut out a part of me and was now handing it to somebody else. And, And there was no one that I trusted to hold him for the first couple of weeks. Now I still did it. I kept all of those thoughts in my head. I never, you know, I never said that to anybody. I should be clear right up front that I ended up suffering from postpartum depression and anxiety. So not all of the things that I was thinking or feeling were exactly the most healthy things. But yeah, that was that was when my anxiety really started spiking and when I first started noticing it was how horrible it felt to hand my baby over even, you know, to his dad who of course wanted to hold him. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah, this is hilarious because we are such polar opposites. You guys are <laughs> going to get the total, both sides of the spectrum. I was, <laughs> I was totally fine with it. Like for me, I feel like I lived a very lonely life growing up. So when I became a mom, I think like my tribal, very basic instincts kicked in. And I feel like we as women are 
genetically and just, well, we're built to raise children together, like as a village. And I think for me that kicked into overdrive and that's why I was so passionate about, you know, making mom friends and and building my tribe. Even I started, you know, when I was pregnant doing it because I knew I was going to need support and I was totally okay handing Taylor over. I mean, I had him on me all the time. So if anybody ever offered to help me, and I also never received a lot of help in my life ever. So like, it was very important to me to be able to be open to that. And I've always really wanted people to step in and help me. So like when people have offered to help me, and I haven't gotten a ton of help, up until, you know, like I had little, up until recently, really, but um, it was a great experience to be able to, you know, hand him off and but it would have to be with with people I, I definitely trusted and, and other moms. And I, I also learned that offering to help people, I was always very helpful and always the one offering to help other moms with their babies. So that it made it a lot easier for me to ask for help as well. I had a thought. So Jillian, you know, what's really interesting is you said you you came from the experience of doing a lot of things on your own, but it does sound like there was such a desire and an openness to trust other people and want to connect and receive that. So I wonder if that's what helped make that that piece, you know, much more comfortable for you. Um, and then I'm also wondering if you guys think that your own attachment issues came up at all in terms of that security or lack of, you know, anxiety around the proximity to your baby and all the caretaking? Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 10 million percent. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually, there was somebody who said, I can't even remember who it was. I don't know if it was a therapist or a friend who said to me that one of my most important jobs as a mom would be to try and separate how I felt as a child from how I felt about my child. And that is still really hard. I mean, that's something that I learn and that I work on all the time, but I think it's, it's, it starts right at the beginning, like what you were saying. I think it's interesting too, because you said you had a bunch of siblings where I didn't. I had, I was very, I didn't have any siblings until I was started when I was 12. So I was mm-hmm. an only child and my mom was very disengaged with me. Like she never really, she made it very clear that like I wasn't an accident, but I was very much a mistake sort of scenario. And it's interesting because it, that, that I always remained open to wanting love and wanting help. Like it didn't shut me down. I've always had a very big gaping wound of like, love me, love me. Do you love me now? Do you love me now? How do you love me? So it's always been very at the forefront of my existence to try to earn people's love. And like, how do I earn people's love? Because I've always been trying to learn because I wasn't just automatically giving it, given it by my parents. Like a lot of children are just born and their children, their parents love them. So they don't know what that's like to constantly have to try to figure out, okay, how do I make this person love me? Or how do I make this person want to have me around? And that's something I've had to do my entire life. When we come back, we will continue our discussion about surviving postpartum and the conflict between autonomy and dependency. We will be right back. Welcome back to the show. We are talking with Dr. Jennifer Shear about changes in postpartum identity. Dr. Shear, can you explain the challenges mothers experience when they need help but don't want to or don't know how to ask for it? 
Sure. I, you know, I think understanding what feels so painful about receiving or asking for help is really the key. And I do think it goes back to what we were just talking about. You know, if a young child felt shamed for needing help or really couldn't rely on others to, to feel that other people understood her, emotionally get her and what she needed, then she learns that depending on others can make her feel weak and diminished as opposed to that loved feeling and expansive in, in connections with others. And if it was unsafe to rely on others, you know, perhaps from abusive situations or neglect, then it can feel extremely traumatic and just dangerous, like in your bones, um, to be in this situation that demands you allow others to come close and help you out in this way. So again, I think the goal is to distinguish, you know, our own feelings around our experiences as a kid and to be present for our kids in terms of what's really going on for them. So how does asking for help affect maternal self-esteem? If you think about how you learn, you know, learning really involves learning from other people. So, okay, take the example of, you know, the basic, the traditional teaching a kid how to throw a ball. You know, you throw the ball for them and they watch. They're observing what you are doing. Then you're helping them maybe position their hands the right way. Um, you might even physically assist them a few times until they get the motor sequence down, you know, and then they'll try it on their own. And then you come back and you offer information to either correct it or try to hone their efforts in a positive way. But initially they're depending on us. And that's a really good thing when people are respectful about those needs. You know, I wish dependency weren't seen as such a bad word in our culture overall, because it really is, um, it can be such a healthy and vital part of intimacy and connection. And to our parents, did you struggle with reaching out to others for help when you had your baby? I just flat out didn't do it. <laughs> I just didn't ask for help and in fact pushed away help that was offered, which is the opposite of everything you guys should do. Whoever's listening, <laughs> don't do that. It does not work out well. But yeah, I there was more than a struggle. Yeah, I I remember sitting just wishing I had more people to ask for help because I didn't really have anybody to ask for help. And that's why I got so busy creating my tribe of mom friends because when I got divorced, they were my the only people I had to ask for help were, were my mom friends. And I got very comfortable asking for help because <laughs> I didn't have a choice, you know, and, and I think I was forced into it very much. But I've always been very comfortable asking asking for assistance. And it doesn't really make sense why I should psychologically, but I just have been. But again, I think it goes back to I, I, I'm very quick to offer my own assistance. And I think since I'm open to offering to help people, that makes me more comfortable with also asking people for help. But I mean, I've been a single mom for six years, and I've had two companies, there's no way I would have survived without being comfortable asking for help because I've had to a lot. Yeah. You know, my experience was really unique compared to my siblings' experiences. I'm the younger, youngest of four, just like you, Graham, uh, except I'm the youngest by a lot. When I was born, I was a, oops, guess what, baby. And um, my mom was almost 40 when she had me. So my oldest sister was 17 and graduating high school the summer that I was born. So you can imagine my mom going to all the graduation events with a newborn on her hip. So when I had my children, my siblings had already been married and had children for some time. And so for a lot of my desire to connect with them, I was hoping, oh, I'm a mom now. Now you guys will actually want to hang out with me because I'm not like the bratty little sister anymore, right? But 
it was a huge transition for me because up to that, the reason how I got my attention, like Jillian was saying, I got my attention by doing well in school and by being successful in my career. So I was actually getting my master's degree when I got pregnant with my first, and I was so sick that I actually had to drop out of this really, really competitive program. And I was like one of only 20 people that got accepted. And it was like, oh, my parents were finally proud of me. You know, I finally did something right with my life. And then I got pregnant and then I had to drop out of school. So I really mourned not going to school. I really mourned not having the relationships with my siblings I thought I was going to have because I thought, okay, now that I'm a mom, they'll see me as this mature grown adult and they'll want to connect with me again. And so for me to reach out when I did and say, hey, I need help from you guys and to get rejected was not only extremely painful because I needed help, but it was also extremely painful reminder that I didn't have these relationships with these people I thought I was going to be. And I didn't have no clue who I was because my whole of this is who I'm going to be when I become a mom was based on pleasing everybody else. It had nothing to do with my actual success about being a mom. So that's something that I'm always working on is trying to be the mom that my kids need and not be the mom that I want other people to see that I am. Because at the end of the day, they don't really matter. It's everyone who lives in your house that matters. So that's that's just a huge transition is trying not to do things for others, but do them for yourself so that you benefit your kids. And don't you think that's like a huge part of the maternal identity also? You're shifting away from who you are, you know, in all of your relationships in those roles, like daughter, you know, siblings, spouse, all of that to get to the place that you're describing right now, which is what really matters most in your heart is who you are in this relationship with your new family. Not that the others don't have meaning and value. I think it, it all gets sorted out, but, but there's such a shift on the emphasis of how you experience yourself. Yeah. And that's, you know, that kind of touches on what I was going to ask you next was how we reconcile these conflicts between who we are and the mother that we want to be. You know, I think motherhood, you know, it's enormously painful for many, many women because you're just going through so many changes. And I think for most people, changes involve, you know, newness and birth, but but loss. So so that whole process. But I still think in spite of that, over time, it is one of the most amazing windows of opportunity to confront different parts of ourselves that we want to heal and change and to expand into areas that we really didn't even know about ourselves before having kids. And I think it goes back to what, you know, we're all talking about, which is the key is really self-awareness and to just keep processing what comes up from the past um, or from different parts of yourself when you're in the here and now with your own kids. And I think the more you're able to recognize this sort of, um, I don't know, emotional time travel, like as it's happening, the more control you have to make choices of how you want to parent in real time with your own kids. My big thing is education. I feel like, you know, when we go to birthing classes and we go to breastfeeding classes and everybody talks so much about the physical aspect of motherhood. And I just don't think people talk about the psychological aspect of it and then the coping mechanisms enough. And like what I always tell new moms is this is going to be so hard. Like, and it's okay. It's hard for everybody. And this is, but this is, these are the things that you're going to need to make it less difficult. Like, and I feel like if we start that conversation while women are still pregnant with their first ones, then it's not such a slap in the face when they're faced with this afterwards. And I don't, I'm so passionate about it because it's not talked about enough. And I think, and for me, I remember sitting and crying because I 
was in so much pain. I couldn't get up to make myself food, but I was starving. And because I didn't have a group of girlfriends before I had my son to set up a system that people were bringing me food. And I think every every new mom, especially first time moms, need that system set up for them. But I didn't even know people did that for people because I was 25 and I was the first one of my friends to have a baby. And so I just feel like so much of that stuff is not talked about it and it needs to be in every single birthing class. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cheer and our wonderful parents for joining us today in our discussion about finding our identity after baby. And for our Newbies Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of the show as Dr. Shear will share some tips for choosing the right people to ask for help and maximizing the support from your social circle. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. All right. So before we wrap things up, we do have a baby oops segment for you guys. I love, I love this segment because it just makes us all feel more normal. That's what we've been, kind of been talking about in today's episode, right? Is that we need to be more real about what's going on in our lives. And so this is kind of one of those segments to say, Hey, you know, um, sometimes funny things happen, may not be funny in the moment, but definitely funny afterwards. I think this is one of those situations. So this comes from Jada and I love how Jada opens this up. She's like, it didn't happen to me. It's like saying, <laughs> A friend of mine, blah, 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 blah. Um, but she continues on. Didn't happen to me, but my cousin, uh, happened to my cousin and we still tease her about it. When her daughter was a few weeks old, she caught a cold and had a stuffy nose. My cousin kept using the nasal suction thingy. I love, I love how she says that because it's like, what are these things called? I don't know. The nasal suction thingy on her and couldn't figure out why it wasn't helping. Apparently, she was putting the thing in her baby's nose and then squeezing and pulling it out as opposed to kind of like sucking it out. So basically, she was just packing the snot into her baby. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, who knows what to do with those things? Seriously, right? I know. Poor little kid. I'm sure she learned and was able to figure it out and, and it all ended well. But great story, Jade. Thanks so much for sending it in. You heard everyone. Oh my gosh. We just feel for it. We feel for the baby and feel for the mama too. Uh, If you guys have a funny baby oops story you want to send to us, please do so. You can send it through the website at newmommymedia.com. Just click on the contact link. You can post it to our Facebook page. You can send us a voicemail, however you want to do it. And we'll include it on a future show. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Newbies. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Toddlers, The Boob Group for Moms Who Give Breast Milk to Their Babies, and Twin Talks for Parents and Multiples. Thanks for listening to Newbies, your go-to source for new moms and new babies. This has been a New Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care. 
and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.